Hey there, and welcome to the Apartment Building Podcast. I am your host, Micah Blunk. Super excited that you're here. Today on the show with me is Drew Whitson. Drew, how's it going? Hey, Michael. Good. Thank you. Hey, so uh, Drew, if you don't know, is, has helped me co-host the show a little bit. Drew is super successful, owns 2,000 units himself. He heads up our mentoring organization where we actually coach and students as well. He's involved with the development of syndicated deal analyzer. He does a bunch of other stuff behind the scenes. So it's super great to have you here, Drew. What's on your mind today? Hey, Michael, I was curious, what do you think of the new CDC moratorium on evictions? What's your, what are your thoughts on that? It is Bolshevik. How in the world can the CDC dictate evictions? Like, help me on ex- explain that. I have no idea. It's stunning. It's, it's amazing that that kind of an organization has an ability to impact the private property rights of the apartment building network. It's amazing. Well, you know, it's all done under the guise of, you know, safety for the people, I suppose. It's still very bizarre. The question is, you know, how do we deal with it now? Because we were all thinking, oh, it's uh, the moratorium is up. It's over. And now it's to the end of the year. And who knows? They might extend another quarter or two quarters. Who the heck knows? Yeah. You know? One of the surprising things that we've been dealing with already with some of the eviction moratoriums at the state level or is that it really hasn't meaningfully impacted our financial results. So thankfully, um, the percentage of uh, tenants that it has impacted really hasn't really materialized. So some of the initial risk that we had hasn't been nearly kind of as, as large as we thought. And so we are hopeful that with our good property management that we will continue to be able to show the kind of performance. And this is sort of a, just a de minimis impact on our financials. It's a little surprising. I mean, back when this all started in April, we were really concerned about strategic default tenants not paying their their rent, because not because they couldn't uh, anymore, because they didn't have to, because of the moratorium that was put in place. What we found is that that didn't happen. Now, I have a theory, Drew. The theory is that there's so much uncertainty in the world on health and people's jobs that the one thing they can control was the roof over their head. So they decided to pay their rent. But you're right. We haven't seen any dip in collections at all. No, it's been really strong. And I think one of the encouraging things is that the apartment, the quality of apartments has actually gone up because as people are having to stay home, they want to stay in nice apartments. Uh, And so the the work from home aspect, the uh, fact that they're spending more time really has made the apartment building an an attractive asset. And we look across and if you were going to invest in real estate today, what other asset class would you invest in? It's not going to be office. It's, it's not going to be commercial. You're going to look at multifamily because multifamily across these asset classes has performed very well over these last six months. Now, we have had to talk to our tenants a little bit more than before, right? Before someone stops paying the rent, they get an eviction as a process and they're no longer there. Now, we actually have to maybe talk to them, which isn't such a bad, uh, a bad thing every once in a while, you know? Right. Our property managers that are, are worth their salt are already doing that. They're the ones that have great communication strategies. They're ones that are building relationships and trying to create communities on site. It's not just a place to rent. We're trying to have property managers uh, that create homes for our tenants, places that our tenants are excited to be and have good, honest relationships with those property managers as well. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, so, you know, we don't know what's going to happen in the future. We've uh, we just we've been very just thrilled with uh, with how the multifamily has been performing so far to date. Mm-hmm. Now, shifting to uh, the conversation today on on the interview is we one of the the most uh, the popular podcasts is where people are interviewed that quit their jobs with multifamily. And our our guest uh, is exactly like that, but he goes one step further. Further, he's actually joined our mentoring team as a mentor. So not only did he do multiple deals with a partner, but he's now giving back and helping other people do their first deal. Yeah. And that that guest is Barry Flavin. What can you say about Barry? 
So I'm really excited to have Barry on board. He is one of these uh, great mentors that has been uh, very active over the last several years, works with another one of our other mentors, so really has an opportunity to learn the business, did everything right that you're expecting to see, created partnerships, developed a lot of good relationships with their investors. So we're really excited to sort of have him on board. And as a new mentor, he brings a ton of energy and a new set of experiences into our mentorship program. Yeah, he really does. So I'm really excited to get into and peel back the layers of Barry Flavin and, and understand how he's done it himself, uh, because he started essentially from scratch as well, how he worked himself up into a partnership with a very experienced syndicator, provided value, and then what's working with some of the students that he's working with. So let's get right in the interview with Barry Flavin. You're listening to the Apartment Building Investing Podcast, where we'll talk about all aspects of buying apartment buildings with a special focus on raising money from others. And now, your host, Michael Block. Barry, welcome to the show today. Hey, Michael. Hey, thanks for having me on. All right. So explain to me how an air traffic controller ends up in real estate. The quick version of that is I was looking for another stream of income to eventually supplement uh, what would be a government pension down the road and quickly got hooked, quickly saw the opportunity and and ran with it, started in single family housing and started to scale and partner and got into multifamily. Wait, let me get this straight. So, so you were concerned about your, why were you concerned about government pension? I mean, it takes care of a lot of different people. What, in your mind, what was the problem with that? In my mind, a government pension is really nothing more than just a promise. It should be there. And the other thing I thought about is a lot of people look at hey, retirement, hey, my expenses are going to go down. I look at it as, hey, my expenses are going to go up. I'm going to start doing more travel, more things that a lot of people put off until that age of retirement. And then as my thinking shifted over time, I said, why, why wait until I'm old and retired to do these things? Let's, let's continue to push into the real estate world and get to a point where we can do these things now and do it on my time. Barry, what was your initial strategy to get into this business? The initial strategy was going into, uh, I started with single family homes. So to back it up, incidentally, I started in real estate by buying, selling, and fixing up my own personal residences. Just happened to time the market well, sold them, was able to take some cash from those, put it towards the next one. And after a few of those, I then uh, went to my good friend and now business partner, Josh Sterling, who you guys both know pretty well. And I said, Josh, how do I actively start creating a, a side stream of revenue? How do, I, how do I start buying rental properties and just growing the portfolio? And at the time, I thought, yeah, if I could get five to 10 single family home rentals, that would be great. So we sat down one day in his office and he kind of penciled it all out for me and, and said, hey, here's what I'm doing. I'm buying these. I'm fixing them up, my, not myself, but fixing them up with a, a couple teams of contractors and We'll go to the bank and we'll refinance these, the, the Burr method that uh, a lot of people are familiar with. But so it was, a, it was a single family house strategy, Barry, is that right? Exactly. Yeah. Single family home strategy. So it's, it's not a bad yep. strategy, right? Get five to 10 uh, single family houses. Uh, you know, uh, I've heard that before. Is that what you did? Did you start down that strategy or what happened? Yes. Yeah, so we started down that path and we bought our first, we bought six. We bought 18 single family homes in 17 months. So we had a lot going on. There's, there's a lot of moving parts. How were you able to do that? That's a lot of houses. Like, How did you fund all this stuff? So we started out with uh, the cash that we had around 
300 something thousand dollars that we'd been able to accumulate and pull from other uh, savings accounts, retirement accounts, quickly put all that money out there between rehabs and, and purchase prices. And uh, that quickly forced us into the next kind of step of borrowing money from private lenders. So between borrowing money from private lenders and doing refinances, we were able to then snowball the money. And as prices kind of crept up and it was just less and less appealing as far as chasing that strategy. So that's when we, we kind of shifted and said, at the time, Josh had already uh, built kind of his own little empire of uh, startings of a, a property management company. And for me personally, I don't have much of a passion behind the property management side of the business. I realized the importance of it. It, it is an absolute must. So one day we were, uh, we were having a beer at his kid's birthday party and we were kind of bouncing ideas off each other. And he's telling me, he's like, when are you going to get into multifamily? And I said, well, as soon as you stop buying them all. And I kind of pushed back at him. I said, when are you going to start playing with the big boys and go after some bigger deals? Because at the time he had had like a, a 20, 30, a 40 unit, couple of properties in that size range. And we both kind of had a, not quite an aha moment, but we were like, Hey, let's see if we can, we can do a partnership here and make this thing work. So we, uh, we started chasing bigger deals and going out and raising some money with him kind of leaning on me as the, uh, the lead, the money raiser, the investor relations person. So that's how you structured your partnership was that you raised the money and he chased some of the deals using his existing relationships and, and knowledge of the market? Exactly. Yeah. So for myself, I was able to kind of expedite the process of getting into the multifamily world by leveraging Josh's expertise and his uh, broker relationships already where he would get looks at deals before anybody else and knew the Metro Detroit market well. Also knew some folks that could contribute some capital but just happened to have just our network of people that we could go to and had kind of seen what we had both been doing over the years. And we just started pitching the idea of, hey guys, if we can uh, come up with this type of deal, something you'd be interested in talking about, I'm like, yeah, let's talk about it. And then the, the day did come where Josh calls me and says, hey, he goes, you know that 144 unit deal we've been, uh, we've been chasing? And before he even finished, I go, oh, yeah, we got it, didn't he? He goes, yep. So for us, it was kind of like, oh man, 9 million something purchase price. We got to go raise $2.8 million. And up until this point, we've only messed around with maybe a few hundred thousand dollars of, of private money here and there. We we hadn't gone out and, and done a large raise before. Well, let me ask you something, Barry. Why wasn't Josh able to raise the money or why didn't he think he was able to raise the money? And part number two, the same question is, why did he think you could raise the money? So a couple of things. I think Josh was Josh is definitely capable of raising the money. I think his skill set and his passion lies in more of the operation side of things, the property management. Mm -hmm. He's hyper organized and he comes from the the pilot background. He used to be a commercial airline pilot. So everything is done by a checklist. Everything has to be done before this is done, before that's done, and so on. And I get it. I just, I'm not wired that way. My previous background was in sales. So he kind of leaned on me to say, Hey, you enjoy going out and talking to folks about putting deals together, returns, how this thing's going to look from an overall strategy standpoint. So he said, let's do this. You focus on that. I'm going to focus on 
finding more deals, underwriting more deals, mm -hmm. and running the ones that we do have well. So how did, how did some of those initial conversations go with your investors on this 144 unit? On 144 unit, it was, we initially came out kind of just overconfident on the whole thing. We thought, oh yeah, we know a bunch of guys with a bunch of money and uh, they're all going to give us uh, like $500,000 a piece. It'll be easy. And we made a lot of phone calls, a lot of, lot of email, lots of, lots of coffees and dinners. And after about two or three weeks, you get a lot of uh, people are like, okay, well, I'm interested. Let me digest this. Let me come back to you. We always kind of look at it as there's, there's almost, you got to have five touch points with somebody when it comes to capital raising. You're not just going to pick up the phone. Hey, I got a deal. Can I have $100,000? They're going to say, okay, well, yeah, I'm interested. Send me the deal. One touch point. And then you're always going to have a couple of things to circle back on. Now, if you, they're a previous investor, it might be not so cumbersome, but uh, all these people, this is their first time, except for me, one or two people investing with us. Uh, so after a few weeks, we were scrambling like, oh man, I don't know if we're going to be able to, to do what we said we're going to do. And then all of a sudden, in a matter of a week, everybody that we had been putting in time with and kind of really working on this deal with, it all fell into place. And all of a sudden, it was just, we filled up the order in five days. All of a sudden, it was, man, we got $2.8 million all of a sudden. Did you put your five touch points in with those people then? And you just accelerated the time frame? Like every day is a touch point. You're calling them every day, touch point one, two, three. Is that right? Some of those, some of those touch points might have been earlier on, months ahead of time with somebody, hey, you're, you're out golfing and they say, yeah, what do you guys got going on in the real estate world? And you say, oh, well, we're, we bought a couple of houses or we're working on this small building. And oh, by the way, we're currently chasing some, some larger deals that we'd be looking for investors in. There's a touch point. We might've got to them a little bit sooner, but others where they might be new to, to you and your organization, it took a little bit more work. All right. So you kind of create a little bit of stress for yourself by basically not doing more work up front. What could you have done upfront in advance of the 144 unit to make that, shall we say, a little, little less stressful? Yeah, a little less stressful would have definitely been uh, getting out sooner to some of those people that we knew that we were going to be going to at the time of getting a deal on the line and saying, hey, here's kind of a, a sample idea of what we're, we're chasing and do the whole scenario of if I can come up with something like this and the returns would look something like this, is this something you'd be interested in? So you've mm. already kind of gotten that initial part of the conversation out of the way where we could then come to them and say, hey, remember a while back, so now you've already gone through touch point one, two, and three maybe. Now you're getting to four to say, hey guys, I got that deal. Here it is. Here's what the returns look like, our, our overall strategy, hold period, et cetera. What do you think? Now it's just a matter of circling back to, okay, run that deal by me one more time. What are you guys doing here? And now let's start talking commitments. Well, Drew, that's exactly what we teach our, our students to do. Yeah, exactly. The sample deal, the power of the sample deal package. That's right. It, it just reduces the stress because if you have verbal commitments before you put stuff on a contract or make offers, it gives you a lot of confidence to put uh, put offers on. And I, I commend you, uh, Barry, for having gone this way. There was a, a, another one, I think Joseph Goslin on the podcast, who told me a story where he basically started run, raising money the day he had on a contract. 
and it was a nightmare. He barely got it done, and it's because he was on the phone in the car on the plane for like 24 hours a day for 30 <laughs> days to get it done. And I'm like, oh my gosh, there's an easier, better way. It's called a sample deal package, and uh, and so that's kind of what uh, what you started to do a little bit, and it created some stress, but you finally got it done. Anything else that you learned from the capital raise uh, process maybe that surprised you or shocked you? It doesn't happen overnight. I guess I should say that the quick thing we learned was that everybody wants to be a real estate investor until they have to write a check. Yeah. <laughs> Who doesn't love real estate? You need me to physically write you a check or wire some money to the account. I'm going to pass on this deal. So don't get too excited about a couple players just continue to fill it. We always tell people first come first basis. At this point, we go to our initial kind of insight to start and we, we branch out from there and we're constantly trying to grow that funnel. And typically we've seen the best growth through just kind of referrals of our existing network. We do get some people just from social media posts, stuff like that, nothing, nothing crazy. Uh, we don't see some huge influx from a post on Instagram or anything like that, where all of a sudden, hey, 20 people want to just give us money. You might get a couple of people that you'll have a phone call with. Absolutely. Hey, they might be a great resource down the line. Add them to your your pool of people to talk to deals about, but it's not just throw it out there on the internet and this thing's going to fill up. So, so Barry, tell me this. You partnered with Josh, who was sort of a mentor for you. You developed an action plan to tackle a big multifamily property. You made the yep. jump from single family. Your first property is 144 units. What yeah. were some of the biggest concerns your investors had from you jumping from that, from the smaller property to this large one? How did you handle some of those concerns going into your first large multifamily property? Yeah, some of the biggest concerns they have right up front is just how are we going to run this thing? So again, kind of leaning on everything that Josh had previously built from the ground up from a property management standpoint was, well, here's how we're going to run it. And here's how we're already doing it, guys, because we have in-house management is is what we think is the key. So we have 28 employees right now that are direct uh, property management employees. So how have you and Josh moved forward developing a platform and a brand? How have you guys moved forward after that first deal to where you are today? So where we are today, so we have now closed, we just closed another deal that fourth larger syndication that we've done in the last couple of years here. Kind of an area, I would say a weakness area for us is that we need to do a better job of building a brand and building that kind of the deal funnel and the funnel for, for new investors coming on board. What do you think is your, is your problem on that front? probably just not enough focus right now where we'll get a deal and we'll, we'll be heads down in that. We'll, we're kind of hyper-focused on that deal, raising the money, putting it together, making sure it closes, operating that deal well. And then we'll kind of take a breath for a second and then, okay, we got another one and here we go. And we're chasing that deal. We're chasing more investors for that deal. And we're doing what we need to be doing. We're growing the list. We're getting looks at good deals where we're chasing good opportunities and closing good deals. Well, like anything, we can always do it better. We could streamline things. What do you think you should yeah, be doing like if that. there was more hours in the day? God, I don't know. I mean, some of it's uh, we don't know what we don't know as far as like we continue to grow in size. So I see some of these larger organizations where their marketing just seems so much more streamlined as far as just getting stuff out on social media, newsletters to current investors, uh, 
stuff as simple as a, a closing announcement. Things that we do, but it might not necessarily be clockwork where, hey, every couple of days we send this out or once a month we send out a newsletter, just uh, becoming a little more regular, a little more predictable with stuff. Barry, you and Josh both live in the greater Detroit market. All of your properties yes. are in that market. Are most of your investors also in that market? And how, how has that sort of myopic focus been a benefit for you in terms of growing your business? Yeah, so everything that we own and operate is in the Metro Detroit area here. And we do span down into uh, northern Ohio, the, the greater Toledo area, which is just kind of an extension of Metro Detroit the way I see it. We do have a, we're getting a significant amount of investors that are now outside of Michigan, as well as a large number that are in Michigan as well. And being kind of not hyper focused on just Detroit, but, uh, this market here, we, we know it very, very well. We know, hey, Birmingham is not really our, our cup of tea. It's class A neighborhood, class A properties. It's just, we look at stuff there, but it's just, it doesn't fit the, what we're chasing for returns for our investors. We look at it and we don't, need, we don't even need to spend more than five minutes looking at it typically where we'll focus on say a class B asset in a, a class B neighborhood that's densely populated with a lot of jobs. And we can look at that stuff, analyze that very, very quickly. And at the same time, we now have the resources where we have a couple different offices across the Metro Detroit area, where if you're on the south side of the metropolitan area, it might take you hour, hour and a half to get to the northern end, where now we have an office up there and they can service all those types of properties. And then we have the other branch that can service the other areas. It's been, uh, it's always been tough for the last, gosh, five years finding good deals, right? So what are you guys doing to ensure consistent deal flow? We, yeah, it's definitely tough. We look at a lot of deals. We've been fortunate enough to get kind of a first broker look at a number of deals, as well as uh, a couple of deals that have come off market to us just from having that reputation in certain pockets of Metro Detroit to say, hey, I know a couple guys that have been buying quite a bit of stuff in, in these few neighborhoods. Give them a call. I think they might be able to help you out with this transaction. That's kind of helped to create that consistent deal flow for us. So you obviously have a track record now, which makes things a lot easier. Now, one of the things we haven't talked about is you actually uh, mm -hmm. you actually became one a mentor in our organization to teach students how to how to do what you have have done. And I want to get back into that in a second. But how do you advise one of your students who goes, "Oh, Barry, oh, it's easy for you. You have a track record, right? What am I supposed to do to get deals? What do you how do you, what do you advise mm -hmm. them?" Yeah, if they're going out uh, trying to create a name, create a brand for themselves in the market, they need to start networking with brokers. They need to start networking with investors. They need to leverage the the Michael Blanc program and the team that they have behind them. And there's a there's a lot of power and knowledge in that entire organization. It's not just say if I'm working with a student that signed up for the program, they're not just working with me. I can bounce all those ideas off of Drew, Josh, some of the other guys and there's always more than one way to slice this. They can start networking with uh, different owners that they might be able to break into to meet to management companies they might be able to go to to say, hey, I'm actively looking. Uh, I have the funds behind me. Yeah, I mean, that's exactly what, what you did. I mean, you partnered with Josh Sterling. You borrowed his track record to get into the business. That's mm -hmm. exactly what you did. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's 
there's more than one way to get in. Yeah, find somebody that you can add value to and help kind of take a big workload off of their plate. And just because you team up to do something doesn't mean that that other person sucks at that specific task. It just, they might not wake up every day and have the same drive and the same passion to do those same things. Barry, what's the top thing when you get a new student that comes on board? What's the number one thing you tell them to get started to be successful in this multifamily syndication business? Just starting from scratch, they don't even really know the kind of the language of the the multifamily world. I tell them to take a deep dive and maybe even run through it again for the initial online content that you guys provide right out of the box. Go through that. That is going to get your mind put in the right direction. You're going to then be able, by the time you're done with that, you're going to be able to go through and really be able to speak the language where when you do talk to a broker, you're going to be able to talk to them with confidence to say all the different jargon, the expense per door, just everything that we, we talk about on a day-to-day basis where if you just call a broker and say, yeah, I want to buy a building. Um, how many doors do you got? Just, they're not going to even give you the time of day, but if you at least kind of halfway sound like you know what you're doing, they'll, they'll at least take your call and return your emails or maybe even meet you for a coffee. One of the things I love doing and what you're insinuating here is we need to get our students plugged in to the community. One of the things I love about the network that we have is our students get access to the Deal Maker Mastermind where we have other experienced syndicators, other students, and we have paid advisors to help provide value to people looking for quick feedback and a way to develop the kind of partnerships that you found um, in order to grow their business. Um, We use that across our our Slack channels and all the resources included um, as part of our mentoring program. Well, joint venturing actually is is, is a key thing of our mentoring program because all you guys put students together all the time. If someone doesn't joint venture, it's actually an anomaly. And uh, we just recently had three students uh, do their first deal. So now three individuals had done their first deal by getting together, raising a quarter million dollars each. And that's the magic, right? And so you need to connect with a community like the Dealmaker Mastermind, uh, which is part of the program as as well. Or like you said, I mean, Barry, you mentioned several times networking, got to get out, network, network. You got to build your team, Mm -hmm. find potential partners, right? I mean, like, like, how did you come across uh, uh, Josh Sterling? Like, what did you do? Was it kind of a fluke or did you kind of go out and and maybe look for some people? I mean, what's your advice on finding potential uh, partners? Yeah, so I mean, me and Josh were kind of unique where we worked together in uh, the air traffic uh, world prior to partnering up on it. We, I had seen what he'd been doing for, for years, but then, um, like I said earlier, we finally sat down and had that discussion. And yeah. I think one of the things that maybe made him want to even entertain the idea of partnering with me was he said, he goes, man, he goes, I told this guy to go read a couple books. He read a couple books. I told him to go to a couple networking meetings. He went to a couple networking meetings and he put his money where his mouth is. He, you got to start doing it. And oh, I know coachable. you always preach. You're, you're, you're yeah, coachable, he, right? Yeah, even you as a, as a mentor and coach, I mean, you can tell the difference with some of your students who are coachable, who are doing what you advise them. And then there's maybe students who don't do that. What are some of the differences in some of the people who tend to be more successful versus those that are less successful? I think one of the main factors is you can, you can listen to so many podcasts and read so many books. You have to eventually get out there and do it. You have to start taking action. You have to start pulling the trigger. That's where you're really going to learn. In one of your previous podcasts with Gary, you guys talked about doing first deals and how 
you might not always want to go back and do that same deal, but it's hard to put a price tag on how much you learn from doing that deal, right? So I would say for people that are trying to get started, it's yes, educate yourself, but don't kind of get stuck in just analysis paralysis. So Barry, you and Josh have all of your assets are run through Josh's property management company. That's a huge advantage that you have is you get to control your own deals. What do you tell people who don't have that advantage? How would you recommend they think about hiring and vetting a property manager to execute well uh, and the kind of syndication programs that we're looking for? Yeah, absolutely. We have the luxury of having in-house property management. That's just one way to slice the pie. There's lots of good operators out there. There's plenty of organizations that they're going to have their own portfolio and run their own portfolio, but they're also going to supplement run other investors' properties as well, which we don't do a ton of, but we do. There's another couple hundred to 250 doors that uh, our property management company also uh, runs for other investors. So definitely, initially, you might not run it yourself, but as you start to scale, it's probably going to lead you down the path of starting to hire your own direct employees. But initially, get out there interview some of these management companies and find what's the best fit for you. What, what is, you're trying to what, what, have you guys hired anybody or brought in any kind of contractor on? Is it just two of you? Talk to us about who you felt you had to bring on in what order. So I know there's property managers going on, but there's other various things. There's administrative, there's whatever. Did you bring on anybody else, any partners, any, uh, any contractors, anything like that? Yeah, no. So no, no contractors at this point, from the, the main day-to-day as far as chasing deals, networking with brokers, investors, that solely lies on, uh, on me and Josh. But then in the background, as far as administrative, uh, running the properties, we have a lot of that fall on the, the property management staff. Anywhere from project managers, uh, people that are just in charge of the maintenance staff, maintenance coordinators. So we've brought on uh, a series of, of people over the over over time. Uh, one certainly was a virtual assistant to help us with uh, tedious administrative tax, but we also brought in someone to focus on asset management and most recently someone to focus on investor relations. What do you feel like as you scale? What do you think is going to be your next hire? You know, I'm not sure what we're going to need next. I don't think we're at that point where we're fully realizing our pain points. I think our next strategy might be to bring on somebody that can help us with more of the administrative side of investor relations crossed over to help with our marketing strategy and just being a little bit more organized on that front. Barry, how, what are your next goals for you and Josh? What are the, you know, your six, 12 month, two year plans? Where do you guys want to go as an organization real estate wise? We don't have a set number to say, Hey, we have to have 5,000 or 10,000 units. We just want to be able to consistently do good deals. If that means one deal, three deals a year, we don't draw a hard line. Now we kind of have our, our idea, like we would like to do at least two deals a year at a minimum. That deal could be 80 units. It could be 180 units. Um, yeah. My first reaction, Barry, is that you guys are kind of loosey-goosey with your goals. But then my other reaction is, you know, I, I'm a little similar. Like I have a really hard time setting these three to five-year goals. What the heck's going to happen in three to five years? 
You know, yeah. she's like one to two years a year. That's a great goal. I can wrap my head around that, you know? And so sometimes I beat myself up for not developing this long 10 year like vision like you're supposed to do. And maybe it's kind of I'm a little bit short-sighted. Yeah. It's, it's great just to hear that you guys, because you guys are, are, are performing at a very high level and it doesn't seem to be holding you back. Yeah, I always hear a lot of people beat that drum of you have to wake up every day. You have to write down your goals, your weekly goals, your monthly goals, your yearly goals. I don't know, to each his own. I don't do that. I never will do that. I have just kind of in my head what my personal goals are. I, I don't know. I just, I wake up and sure, some days I'm not motivated to do anything. Some days you just need a break. And But I know at the end of the day, hey, we're going to continue to take steps to always be working towards that goal. Doing good deals. I love that answer, Barry, because at the end of the day, what we're here for is to help serve our investors. Our goal is to provide a great return for our investors, minimize their risk. So it's not about how many units you get. It's not about how many deals you put together, but that you're doing good deals and keeping mm -hmm. your investors first. And that in turn will allow you to have additional capital. You're gonna, your investors will help raise money for you and your deals will come along because they've, you've done a great job of developing a reputation. So I love the idea of hearing keeping your investors first and just wanting to stick with really good deals. Yeah, and along those lines, you guys have really uh, had a, a super success with raising capital, finding deals, and serving your, your investors, like Drew just said. But let me ask you this. Why did you decide to teach others? Why decide to become a mentor? I started with a zero knowledge base, just like uh, so many other people start out with. And there's just a ton of people that took the time to help me get educated, help to kind of coach me along the way and bounce ideas off of uh, all that type of stuff. I, I'm a big believer in what goes around comes around. If, uh, if you're helping people out, if you do it expecting to get something back, that's not the best way to go about things. But if you just, uh, if you go out to help people do the right thing, I believe in karma, it'll come back around. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, and this is why people finding people like you is super difficult because there's plenty of successful syndicators out there, uh, but not everybody's going to share their secrets and create their competition. So I appreciate you, uh, you, you coming on, on as, a, as a mentor and sharing your expertise. And between you and Josh, certainly, uh, who's also a mentor of ours, and between you two you guys, I mean, you're just providing so much value. Now, if you had to do it again, uh, Drew, I think you had a question. If you had to do it again, you know, if you could mentor your own self, your younger self, at what point in your life would you sit yourself down and, and what would you tell yourself? Oh, God, if I could do it over again, kind of mentor myself, I would definitely sit myself down at a much younger age and really teach myself how to use money, how to use it as a tool, just all the advantages of real estate, uh, the tax advantages, uh, just the power of borrowing money at today's rate, letting inflation help you out. Just all those different little uh, pieces of the recipe in real estate. I teach myself that at a much younger age. How much education would you go after? How much education would you chase down and where would you find it? Oh yeah, I would, there's so much out there now. It's just uh, from all the different books, podcasts, blogs, websites, everything available. And absolutely a program like uh, like the Michael Block program. It's if you're really looking to accelerate, then sign up and get that one-on-one -on -one focus. Let somebody else that's already kind of put these tools together. Sure, you can go hunt and peck and find a lot of this information, but when you, when you can have somebody that's done it so precisely and targeted it, why not take advantage of that? 
Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, I mean being able to work with you one on one, like you have no access to people like that. And you've raised so much money and, and have done so many deals. Oh my gosh. You've probably seen I mean, you know, Drew, between the three of us probably haven't seen everything, but we've seen a lot. You know, and to someone who's getting into this stuff, sometimes they make a, a molehill out of out of nothing, whatever. Any other way to underestimate the problem and so they have no perspective, or they're about to give up, you know, three feet before gold. Uh, whatever. Yep. And it's just that they lack the perspective and, and judgment as well. And that's really a value of the, of the mentors to accelerate the outcome, uh, which is doing your first deal and quitting your job and avoiding uh, some yep. of the more expensive mistakes. Struja, you want to add to that? Yeah. One of the things that as mentors we provide is just the opportunity to sort of demystify a lot of this process, demystify this indication process demystify the conversations with investors and with brokers. And it takes very little before you find that these students, you get them through your first deal, the first couple of deals of a million dollars or two, and they are ready to take on the world. Because I think Barry, you'll know, um, yep. doing a, a deal five times larger isn't that much more work. And so our ability to help shed light no, on just the insights and kind of the step one and step two and avoid these pitfalls can be incredibly valuable for these students to build in their confidence, their experience uh, to be able to find their next several deals uh, uh, very quickly after getting that first one done. You learn so you learn so much from every single deal, and not every deal is going to happen. Not every deal is going to close, and those might be the best deals to learn ones that don't get across the finish line. That's interesting, right? Because a lot of people think that canceling a contract or losing a deal is a bad thing. Uh, in fact, we talked about that with a podcast with Garrett Lynch about the same thing that you know, you not getting a deal, you learn so much from that. And in the process, you build such relationship with the brokers who then feed you off market deals. So again, this is a perspective of mentor you know, who puts a, a apparent failure in a perspective about actually how successful it is. You know, do you have any, any other, Barry, any other kind of parting advice for the person who wants to do what you've done? I've done a deal, quit your job. Uh, what would you leave us with? Start educating yourself. Everybody that's not doing it is going to give you a reason why you shouldn't be doing it. But from all the people that are doing it, I don't know a whole lot of them that are going to tell you, no, you can't be done. You shouldn't be doing that. Get out there and do it. Everybody's going to say, oh, coronavirus, you shouldn't be doing that. You should. We've closed two deals during coronavirus, both good deals. So get out there. Don't let anybody tell you you can't do it. Don't listen to the excuses. Go out, educate yourself, start taking action. Barry, how can people get a hold of you? Uh, the easiest way to get a hold of me is uh, Barry at newmissioncapital.com. And if you want to work personally with Barry, uh, you can schedule a call with us at themichaelblank.com forward slash mentor and have a free strategy session to see if mentoring is right for you. Um, uh, it may or may not be, but you can check it out by going to themichaelblank.com forward slash mentor. And uh, then you can also work with uh, Barry as well. Barry, thanks so much for being on the show today and sharing your experience with, uh, with everybody, inspiring the watchers and listeners. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Michael. And everybody, check out the Michael Blanc program. So I'm really excited to have Barry on our team of mentors who is giving back and helping people do the same thing he's done, help them do their first deal and, uh, and quit their job. So some of the key takeaways from, from Barry was get educated, okay? So uh, invest in yourself as much as you are able. There's a lot of free information out there. We have this podcast. We have a free ebook called The Secret to Raising Money on our website, themichaelblank.com. We have a $10 book on Amazon called The Financial Freedom of Real Estate Investing. Check that out as well. 
And then we have online courses, the ultimate guide. We also have mentoring. If you want to work one-on-one with Barry or people like Barry, we have a whole team of full-time syndicators that are helping students do their first deal. In fact, we guarantee that you did get your first deal done in a first year. Otherwise, we'll continue working with you until we do. Because here's the thing, another key takeaway is that uh, we advise that you commit to the activity, not to the outcome. And this is straight from Hal Elrod's book, The Miracle Equation. If you haven't read that, what put that on your reading list because uh, committing to the activity means that the outcome is inevitable. It's just a matter of time. And this is why we have this guarantee in the mentoring program is we'll just keep working with you until you do because we know once you work it and you commit to the activity, the outcome, your first deal and financial freedom are inevitable. Check us out at themichaelblank.com forward slash mentor and schedule a call with us if you want as well. And while you have to get your education, one of the things that Barry says, you have to at one point stop reading books and listen to podcasts. You got to take some action. And that's certainly the value of a mentor. One time a mentor is going to shake his head going, okay, enough of the books, enough of the seminars, go out there and make some phone calls. So you got to take some action and you got to get out there. Barry talked about networking a lot, which is a lot harder to do in these, in these times right now, but you can still network virtually. In fact, uh, there are online virtual conferences. We had one in July called Dealmaker Live, we have one every year. We also have a virtual online community, which we've had for years, called the Dealmaker Mastermind. That's at themichaelblanc.com forward slash DMM, where you can connect with uh, other people just like you who are doing deals, who want to do deals, and want to quit their jobs. So connect with people on there. We've had deals come out of that environment. We've had partnerships come out and, and capital as well connect with others. You need to connect with others for various different reasons. So you're going to build your team, get your property manager on there. You want to find potential partners. You want to find potential investors. And so you got to get, you got to get out there and expand your horizons. And again, joint venturing is so common in this business, which is why I love it. It allows you to play to your strengths. Whatever your strengths are, be clear about that. That is the value you're providing because I can guarantee you that whatever your strength is, is someone else's weakness and vice versa. So we'll see a lot of partnerships like the one Barry is in, in with Josh, where they complement each other, right? So Josh is very operational focused, deal finding focused, and Barry is a lot more relational focused. And so he focuses on raising capital and Josh essentially does everything else. And so they don't really, while they, they're both involved, they split their responsibilities very cleanly. And that's a, a partnership that works very successfully, not just for Barry and Josh as well. So hope you guys found that useful as a kind of a blueprint for taking action, educating yourself and taking action to really start getting out there and just be encouraged that a lot of people are doing deals. Uh, even with COVID going on right now, uh, we have our second dealer in contract. Barry has done two. We've had uh, four students recently who started like right at code and put a deal on a contract and close it already. So people are still doing deals in there and they're out there as well. So be encouraged and keep moving forward. Don't make excuses as well. If you're more of the passive investing variety, okay, and you were looking for an alternative to the stock market, you're not quite sure about this multifamily thing, I have a, a new report at the michaelblank.com forward slash report that compares the stock market with uh, real estate syndications. If you're ready to take the next step and you're like, this is great, Michael, I'm, I want to learn more about multifamily syndications and I'm, I'm kind of interested and ready to go, then why don't you schedule a call with us? Our investment firm is called Nighthawk Equity. Go to nighthackequity.com and click the join button that will basically fill out a form to join our investment club. And you can schedule a call with us and we can explore whether investing with us is a good fit for you. And then we can show you some upcoming opportunities as well. So either way, guys and gals, I want you guys to get involved on your journey to financial freedom with multifamily real estate to one way or another. We'll get you in, whether you're active investor or passive investor, so many ways you can achieve the same goal. So hopefully you are encouraged and inspired by this. 
Catch you in the next episode. Thanks for listening to the Apartment Building Investing Podcast with Michael Block. For more free podcasts, articles, and videos, go to themichaelblanc.com. There, you can also download the free ebook, The Secret to Raising Money to Buy Your First Apartment Building. Till next time.